familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Babies cry. That's how they communicate with us. But some babies cry a lot more than others. And when that happens, we go back to the drawing board and try and figure out why. For breastfed babies, one possible answer could be food sensitivities given through the breast milk. So how do you figure out which foods are causing the problem? Today, we're talking about elimination diets for breastfed moms. We're the boob group. I use a breast pump. I hand express milk for my baby. I exclusively breastfeed. I use a nipple shield. I breastfed after a C-section. I use a milk bank. I breastfeed in public whenever I feel like it. I pump at work. I breastfeed with a cover. I breastfeed twins. I give my baby bottles. I made my own supplemental nursing system. I supplement with formula. I talk to my baby while I breastfeed. I'm breastfeeding as a survivor of sexual abuse. When I have extra milk, I share it with other moms. We are equal. We are the boob group. Welcome to the boob group. We're here to support all moms who want to give their babies breast milk. I'm Sunny Galt. Thanks so much for listening to our show today. This is, get this, our 160th episode of the boob group, which is amazing. And we've covered lots of topics. I know, right? 160. But we're always looking for more topics. So please visit the episode guide on our website at newmommymedia.com. Look through those topics. Tell us if there's something we haven't discussed that you want more information about. That's a great way to get involved in our show. And another awesome way is to leave a review for our podcast on iTunes. It is a great way to have other moms discover our show. It only takes a couple minutes and it's really helpful for us. And and by the way, we're not just on iTunes, but we're on a lot of different platforms. So any platform where you can comment and leave a review again, that's really helpful for us. So let's go ahead and meet the mom is joining our conversation today. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and let us know if you've had, uh, if you've experienced elimination diets, if you know that your children have had food sensitivities in the past. So Graham, let's start with you. Hi, I'm Graham and I have two kids. My son, Andrew, is almost three. He probably had a food sensitivity. We just didn't know about it. My daughter, Rory, is six months old and she definitely does. She has been diagnosed as an MSPI baby. So it's milk and soy protein intolerance technically what her thing is, which is lots of fun. Good times. <laughs> All right. And Tracy, I know we're going to learn a little bit more about you as an expert later on, but tell us your mom as well. So tell us a little bit about your family. 
I am a mother too to two kids. My daughter Maddie is five, almost six, and still nursing. And she actually had a milk protein allergy, which we discovered was an allergy later on, but started as a knowledge of a milk protein intolerance. And my son is Theo. He is four months, almost five months, and he has a spectrum of foods that I am not eating that seem to be more sensitivity than any diagnosis. Intolerance, and I know that's something we'll talk about a bit later too. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, ladies, thanks so much for being with us. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. <coughs> Sounds familiar. <coughs> if your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Doctor Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little. I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. All right, so before we kick off our conversation today, we're going to talk about a news headline. As you know, I like to find headlines that relate to breastfeeding and pumping and talk about them and talk about their meaning and what we think about them. So this one actually comes from... I believe this is in the UK. Did I get that right? I think I think it is. And it's a mom that created the first ever, for the UK, first ever breastfeeding cafe. Her name is Charlotte Purdy. She's 22, which props to her at 22. She's starting a business. That's that's amazing. I, I think I was just, I don't know what I was doing. Something I shouldn't have been doing in college at 22. Anyways, she has a one-year-old son. And, you know, she basically launched this breastfeeding cafe cafe as uh, a result of, you know, just having some bad experiences with being able to breastfeed her baby in public. And so the headline is, and I have to say right from the get-go, I think this is a little bit misleading, but the headline is, Young Mom Receives Death Threats After Opening UK's First Breastfeeding Cafe. Now, if you read a little bit further in the headline, it does mention that there has been some pushback and even some death threats. I don't think that's the norm. I don't think the whole community is up in arms saying, how dare you launch this cafe, which, by the way, is not just for breastfeeding moms and pumping moms. It's for dads. It's for anyone that is supportive of breastfeeding and is fine with moms being able to feed their babies the way they want to feed their babies in public. And so, anyways, that's just kind of a little bit of the background, but she has received apparently some death threats, which seems crazy to me, but apparently there are some people that have a problem with this. So I wanted to talk about it a little bit today and see what you guys think. Graham, let's start with you. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, the, the headline of the article is is a little misleading because reading it, it does sound like, you know, most of the people around her are really excited about it and have been really supportive. But the fact that even one person thought that it was cool to send in a death threat over feeding a baby is just kind of insane to me. And I don't use that word that often, but that is, that is literally insane. I I just can't understand that. 
Well, the thing is, is that I know this is considered in public, but it's not like, and I know people, you know, struggle with moms just breastfeeding on a bench or something in a park or something that that's really open. But this is even in a building that you would have to walk into in order to see it. So if you don't want to see it, don't walk into the building. Like, I mean, to me, it's a little crazy too. Tracy, what do you think? I mean, I agree. I think there's hopefully a lot of good. And I think in one sense, I'm just thrilled to see something like this. Even the fact that she mentions there's a breastfeeding peer counselor on hand to help families as they come in, to have this walk-in spot, go grab a coffee, something to eat, and someone to help you with breastfeeding is just a brilliant idea. But yeah, the fact that one, I mean, and it sounds like even more than one, like she mentions multiple in the middle of the night receiving death threats, just speaks to how far we still have to go to kind of renormalize breastfeeding in kind of a Western world here. Yeah. And it's mind boggling that, as you said, anyone could think that a place where you have to actively enter to see it is (laughs) somehow a problem. I don't, I don't understand that logic in any way, shape or form. No, it really doesn't make sense. And obviously, she's put a lot of time and effort. She thought it was so important because of her own breastfeeding struggles in public. And again, this is in the UK, but we, we, it doesn't matter if you live in Canada, if you live in the United States, we're all kind of, you know, struggling with this. You know, this is a topic of conversation, really, the world, the westernized world is really talking about now. And so, yeah, she obviously feels very passionate about it and is just trying to help moms. It's called uh, the Milk Lounge, if you guys are wondering. But we'll go ahead. It's, it's in Nottingham. I just found that. It's in Nottingham. So we'll go ahead. We'll post a link to it on our Facebook page if you guys want to check it out. Uh, Maybe we can just raise some positive encouragement for this mama to say, hey, you're doing an awesome job and maybe overcome some of this for her. So we'll post it to our page if you guys want to check it out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today we're talking about elimination diets for breastfeeding moms whose children may have food sensitivities. And Tracy Castles, she has a PhD in developmental psychology. She's also the founder and writer for evolutionaryparenting.com, which we'll be sure to link to. She's written a great article on this topic. We'll link to that as well. And uh, Tracy has two children with food sensitivities, so she knows all about this, even from personal experience. So Tracy, welcome to the Boob Group. Thank you very much for having me. So when we talk about babies crying, the first thing I think many of us think about, I think it's kind of overused a lot, is the word colic. Oh, we've got this colicky baby. We don't know what to do with this colicky baby. But how did you know personally that something was a little bit different with your kids and this wasn't the, the typical colic? Well, it started for me with knowing right off the bat that colic really is a five letter word for we don't know what's wrong. So there's many different things that it could be. I actually didn't with my daughter, who is the one with a milk protein allergy, did not even think about food as a possible issue. It was our midwife who discovered it at day five. And because she has an allergy, she also had an associated rash that was we thought was diaper rash. She took one look and knew right off the bat that it was not. So it was during our home visit on day five when our midwife came to see us. She said, there's something wrong here. 
and recommended the first thing that I eliminate was dairy. So that was kind of my first experience with it. And my husband wasn't quite on board. He was just, it's just colic and let's leave it. I don't want to change all our diet and everything. But I did. And within a few days, we had a totally different baby. So it really highlighted to me the need to look more into this and discover you know, what we know about this issue. And then with my son, um, I don't even know about dairy for him because I'm still not on it. But he was crying at a pitch that was unbelievably different. And I also knew that he didn't have the associated rash. So anything he had would have been a sensitivity. But I also had my own health issues now that I knew might contribute to a food sensitivity in him. And Graham, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you find out? You said you thought your son might have had it, but nothing was officially diagnosed, right? Yeah, nothing was officially diagnosed with my son, except he did definitely have reflux. It's two separate things, but I think now that we were going through this with my daughter and we're looking back on it, it probably uh, was an acid reflux issue and there was probably some food sensitivity in there as well. Really, he was on Zantac and that that helped tremendously. Um, He was also on probiotics and that was like, oh my goodness, like she said, now we have a different baby. This is amazing. With my daughter, that pitch of screaming I think is instantly recognizable to anyone that's been through it. This was not tiredness. This was not, this was not gas. This was not, this was not anything else. This was a very specific thing. And when she started crying like that, and it was very, very early as well, I went straight to the pediatrician and said, this, something is wrong. I don't know what this is. And they tested her. I brought in two of her diapers as well. And that was, they did tests and she, my doctor came back and said, well, there's good news and bad news. (laughs) Good news is there's nothing terribly wrong. It's not an allergy. It's not, you know, she's, she's healthy. Bad news is no more milk or soy for you. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's when we found out that it was a milk, soy protein intolerance, not an allergy, hopefully not an allergy moving forward. And I just want to add in quickly exactly what Graham said. It's that pitch of cry that I think some people don't acknowledge. If you haven't heard it, it is truly something unique that you hear and it sounds like your child is being tortured. And it's it's a horrible, horrible sound. And so I think some people kind of think, oh, something's wrong because my baby's just crying. This goes above and beyond the type of cry you would hear when your child's fussing or tired or overstimulated. And I think it's worth mentioning that so that parents kind of realize we're not talking about your garden variety cry here. So we have that high-pitched cry that you guys were both talking about. I know the rash, is that a common one too? What other symptoms? When it comes to an allergy or strong intolerance, you do often see other symptoms. Um, Rash being probably the most prominent because as the poo leaves the body, it's also, for an allergy, it's an irritant to the whole skin as well. So it spreads and it is different. You also don't expect to see a diaper rash very early on. And this rash is, as our midwife put it, a very angry rash that comes. It, It is different as well from the typical diaper rash. One of the other things people seem to miss is that a period of general fussiness where it increases comes later, comes around six weeks in to your child's life. These come when there's an allergy and intolerance. This happens right off the bat. 
So as Graham mentioned, it was right from the start. It was early on with my daughter. As I said, it was day five. It was diagnosed by our midwife um, or initially mentioned by our midwife as a possibility. And this was, you know, we'd been having five days of she came out screaming blue murder and it was just, it was horrible. You also tend to see big differences pretty quickly when you do make a change, if it is that. So some people will attempt the elimination diet that we'll talk about, and they don't see dramatic changes. When you do change something, you really are seeing a different baby at different times, which is really important to note. Okay. Now, what are some of the food sensitivities? What are some of the main ones that we see popping up over and over again? Well, when you look at the research, there's actually only one that crops up, and that is milk. When you're talking about sensitivities, children can have allergies to a variety of things. But in terms of the idea of just being sensitive, cow's milk is the only one that comes up as crossing all children, whether or not they later develop an intolerance or allergy but early on, it is very difficult. It crosses the gut barrier, it gets into the breast milk, and it is very, very difficult for them to digest those proteins. So it causes a lot of pain, gas, and generalized distress in infants who have it. But the problem with that is that, so a lot of people believe that that's the only type of uh, sensitivity that you can have. The problem is that it ignores that our research is really wholly incomplete on the topic. So, for example, when we look at things like wheat um, or even soy, there may be differences in terms of how that food is ingested by mum. So we don't have research looking at the types of preservatives that we add to our foods. And it's worth noting that because we do have research looking at mice where they've looked at our two primary preservatives and the effect on their gut functioning and found that within a very short time, mice exposed to these preservatives develop the same symptoms of IBS that many adults have. So there's reason to believe that it may cross, and we don't know if it crosses the gut barrier, it may cross and it may affect our infants more. So homemade bread may have a very different reaction than store-bought bread, as an example. The second thing that hasn't been looked at in the research and is relevant to the topic is the idea of mom's own gut health. So autoimmune reactions, women with any autoimmune disorder, and this can range from something like Hashimoto's disease to chronic stress syndrome or chronic pain, results in inflammation of the system, which also results in problems with the gut, most notably higher permeability. And this is colloquially referred to as leaky gut. And there's a lot of debate about the validity of that as a widespread diagnosis. But it has been studied well and empirically looking at the relationship between autoimmune function and gut function. And this results in basically larger permeability in the gut in items crossing the gut barrier into our bloodstream that shouldn't. So our gut serves as the function to block the food from our bloodstream. And when that fails, items, particles, proteins get into our bloodstream and then get into our breast milk and get to our babies. So their gut is having to digest things that it simply shouldn't have to get. And so some women may experience food sensitivities in a broader array of sensitivities because their own system isn't working optimally. How are children tested for these sensitivities? Like how, you know, if you brought your child in to see the pediatrician, you know, what would they do to determine what the problem is? With sensitivity alone, just a sensitivity, there isn't a test. What you can have test is, as Graham had, an intolerance by bringing in 
fecal matter or an allergy, which is also they'll start with just the fecal matter to see if there's a problem. Later on, you do allergy tests. It's the same as older children. And so they often don't recommend it very early on because they are not very fun to experience. They are kind of painful for kids to all the pricking and especially because they often do an array of them at once. So you're not just looking at you know, one little prick, there's often a minimum of kind of five or six to look at different items that might be cross-related to the first allergen. Let's talk a little bit about how these food sensitivities in all of your kids, you know, how this impacted your overall breastfeeding and if you were pumping, your pumping experience. So, Graham, let's go back to you. How, how did this impact you? Set aside the elimination diet, which we'll talk about in a second. How did this impact your relationship for breastfeeding? Well, it made me question it, honestly. When I was talking to my pediatrician and she said, you're going to have to cut out all dairy and you're going to need to cut out all soy in the beginning, I was like, well, okay, I don't know that I can do that. Um, It it was just a lot coming at me because it came out of the blue. But I knew that I also could not handle that level of screaming. And especially once we knew that it was actively hurting her, there was a lot of guilt that just crashed into me out of nowhere. Because the thing that I was supposed to be feeding my baby and nourishing my baby and helping my baby, I know this isn't true, but my first thought was, I have been poisoning her. I have been giving her these things that have been hurting her. And of course, I wasn't doing it on purpose. And of course, you know, I know all of these things now, but that was my, my first thing was, I don't know that I can do this. My second thing was just guilt, guilt, guilt. And then, um, so I have a wonderful pediatrician and she said, well, you know, if you want to talk about different formulas that might help you supplement. If you want me to just walk you through, you know, if you just keep pumping more, just the more that you can flush yourself out, just, you know, get as much milk out of you um, to try and flush all of these things out. What do you need? She asked me, what do you need that's going to help you? Which was wonderful. That was a great thing to hear. And she gave me all kinds of just information. She had lots of printouts and things on on how to work the whole diet thing. And I went home and Adam and I just sat down and, and talked about it. And I would love to say that we made this decision because I was so dedicated to breastfeeding. But the truth is that we made this decision because the formulas that we would have been able to use for Rory were extremely expensive. It came down to a financial decision for us. Now, once I've made that decision, now our breastfeeding relationship is so wonderful that I'm really glad that I did it. But that is not why we made that decision initially. And and I just feel like we should be honest about the reasons that we do all of these things. You know, sometimes it does come down to money. Formula is really expensive, especially these very specialized formulas. She would have needed something that had no soy and no milk in it. Right. Absolutely. And Tracy, what about you? How did this impact your breastfeeding relationship with your children? With my daughter, there really, I have to admit, there wasn't. It wasn't an issue of thinking. Formula never crossed my mind. I was, um, thanks to, I think, my own upbringing, me, my brother and sister all nursed until we self-weaned around three, between three and four. So my memories and upbringing were just breastfeeding was the normal thing to do. And that's what I was going to do. So it was just, okay, now I cut it out. And that's what I'll, I'll do. And that was it cut out, she changed, I was happy and no dairy. 
With my son, it's been a bit more different because it's such a large array of foods that I've had to cut out. And I did experience for the first time that guilt that Graham was talking about that I've done something when I, you know, made a mistake and, you know, that we learned a new food that I couldn't eat. I was up with him as he was screaming for three hours in the middle of the night. And I just remember thinking, I'm a horrible mother. I am a horrible, horrible person to have done this to this beautiful, perfect little child. And so that's been harder. But overall, I still, you know, I've never considered supplementing or switching over with him. It's just been working through it. And it is, a again, a bit more different because it stems from my own health issues. And so actually, I get reactions too to things, the, many of these things that I have to cut out for him. So it's a good reminder for me to monitor my own issues. But outside of being frustrated by not being able to eat all that I'd like or, you know, only being able to eat one type of bread that takes me two days to make is, you know, it's an inconvenience, but it's well worth it. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to explain more about what it takes to do an elimination diet, what what's all involved and how do you make it happen. So we'll be right back. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion about food sensitivities and elimination diets. And Tracy Castles is our expert. So Tracy, what is an elimination diet? We talk about this and what's the goal of this diet? The goal of the diet is in essence to discover often what types of foods might be causing problems for a breastfed infant. So you're basically removing various foods. In some cases, you know what it is, and you're simply removing the foods to avoid these very negative reactions that you've heard from both Graham and myself. So you may know what it is based on a test, like Graham knows it's soy and dairy. In some cases, like the case of my son, you're basically eliminating various foods that you see have reactions or do not have to know what you can add back in and what you need to keep removed for either a partial term of your breastfeeding relationship or the full term of your breastfeeding relationship. And this isn't something that we have to do indefinitely. I mean, is this a, is this a temporary test or how does that work? It depends on what you discover. So in the case of a child like my daughter with a milk protein allergy, I'm now almost six years without dairy because she's still nursing. And after a while, I just couldn't eat it anymore either. So that was kind of a side effect of that. But in many cases, if you're not sure what's causing the problems, it's not supposed to be a permanent change. You're not eliminating 20 different types of foods never to add them back in. And that's really important for people to know because I think they feel daunted. If they're entering something and they don't know exactly what's causing the problem, then it can seem very overwhelming to cut a whole bunch of stuff out, especially if you think you're never adding it back in again. So it, it is not supposed to be, it is a diagnostic type tool. It's not supposed to be permanent. If you do discover your child has an intolerance, an allergy, 
Um, so something beyond a sensitivity, you're probably cutting it out for a longer period of time. And even with the sensitivity, you can be adding it back in as your child's gut matures and they get older. Graham, were you concerned in going into this that you may have to eliminate more than what was diagnosed? Or what were your thoughts in, in going through and knowing that you were going to have to cut some stuff out of your diet? Okay, well, let me just be honest. Y'all, ice cream. Like, seriously? <laughs> I know. That's what I first thought of, too. If you get the right brand, my whole family switched over to coconut milk, even the people that don't need to. Yeah. For the ice cream. <laughs> I, have, I have found, I have tried all of, all of the things, and nothing has been able to replace my love affair with Ben and Jerry's, except that Ben and Jerry, because they miss me and, and the millions of dollars that I'm spending every year, they have now announced a line of almond milk ice creams that I'm so excited about. And I'm really, like, I'm about to walk to Vermont. I'm, I'm not right now. <laughs> I'm about to walk there and get, I get it. But we did end up having to, I am now off of all dairy. Soy is just in everything. Like, I don't, I don't think we really understand. It's in the vitamins that I take. Like, it's in everything. And so I, I am not as militant about trying to stay away from the soy as I once was. And she seems to be handling it just fine. But we realized that leafy greens have been a problem. Once I knew what the difference was from cutting things out, I was able to recognize some other foods. So I am now off of all of the leafy greens, like spinach, kale, collards, all of the, the things like that. And broccoli and cabbage had to go as well, which is just very sad for me. Basically, it's anything that was my favorite food. <laughs> but in return, I have the happiest, chubbiest, oh my gosh, best baby ever. So it has totally been worth it. And, and it is, uh, like Tracy said, it's a night and day kind of a change. You notice it uh, pretty, pretty quickly. For us, it's, it's about two days. It's about a day and a half to two days later. I guess that's how my system just works, where it, it, things have just made a, a huge difference. And I've started taking probiotics, and that's helped her tremendously as well. Okay, so Tracy, let's walk through this because I know in your blog post you have four different steps, which I thought I, I like breaking things down simply like that. So let's kind of go through these different steps. You say at first, identify all possible offending foods. And this is the hard part because as Graham even noted, you suddenly discover things down the line. So I too, I've had to cut out all cruciferous vegetables and it sucks because I love, <laughs> I love onions. I love them all. They're all gone. Um, I can't do soy, I can't do rice. So there are a lot of things that sometimes crop up that you really wouldn't expect. But you can kind of cast a wider net. If you start paying attention first to the reactions that you're getting through your diet, you'll kind of see what to cut out. But basically going to a very simple diet for a couple weeks, focusing on protein of a sort. If you fear soy, stay away from tofu and everything. But going down to the bare bones diet of vegetables, fruits, you might probably want to cut out bread. A lot of people do just because, especially if it's store-bought with a potential issue of preservatives. Some nuts, some seeds, some protein, keep it simple. Typically, if you see a difference in your baby in two weeks, and as we said, this is one of the things is that you tend to notice a pretty dramatic change in your child pretty quickly. So if you see that, you know you've cut something out that is causing a problem. So that's kind of the first step is figure out what they are and then you have to – and then second step is eliminate for a couple weeks. If you don't see a difference after two weeks or it's very minimal, chances are this isn't the problem. 
You either have missed the food and it's something weird or you really don't have a child with a food sensitivity and most babies don't have them. So we are talking about a minority of, of babies here. So it can get overhyped and a lot of people end up on these diets that really shouldn't. But for those that are suffering, these kind of diets can be a lifesaver. So after two weeks, presumably if you've seen a change and you now have what both myself and Graham experienced, these happy, wonderful babies that are just suddenly loving life. And then your last step, you evaluate, is this change? Am I comfortable where I am? Do I want to just keep everything out and not risk it? Um, am I comfortable with this diet? Do I want to start adding things in? Make your decision as to what it is you're comfortable with going forward. And then it's to start reintroducing foods, especially if you've cut out more than what you think. If you've started with just a couple, like say you only cut out milk and soy, mm -hmm. which only as you know, I know because I've cut them both out, they're in everything. <laughs> so it's not really a just, but it is you at least know you've narrowed it down here to a pretty small food groups, despite them being horrible ones to have to deal with because they are everywhere. But if you cut out a ton, you start reintroducing one at a time. And because you know that high-pitched horrible cry, you know when you reintroduce something exactly the change you're going to experience. And so you have to be prepared for that. Because it may be that you reintroduce something by accident. I accidentally ate bok choy with my son not thinking about it and had the worst night of just, I felt like a horrible, horrible, horrible person for having done it. So you have to be prepared to face that kind of accidental or intentional reintroduction and then removal stage again. But if you go through one by one, adding these foods back in, you can see what your child can now tolerate and know which foods to leave out and which foods you can now add back into your diet safely. Now, when you introduce or reintroduce a food, will you notice right away? Like, is it the difference, like we were talking about earlier, hey, when you take something out, you notice it right away. Is it reintroducing it? Does it happen like that as well? It's, yeah. I mean, and when we say right away, you're usually talking within about two days because everyone's digestive system is different. So the rate at which it goes through yours and is absorbed and then transferred, it can be for some people with a faster absorption They'll notice it. They'll have it at breakfast. They'll experience a problem that night. For some people, it may be the next day. So it's within that time frame. But yes, you should notice a difference right away. But I often say to people, you know, depending on dosage, you may still want to give it a week or so for each new introduction because sometimes it can build up. It's more that you notice that a child can handle a small amount of something, but not a lot. Like exactly what Graham noticed with small bits of soy. She's able to take it in the vitamins and this and that. But if she were to go out and order a tofu steak, she'd probably have... Oh yeah, nowhere. No fun Asian restaurants for me. No Thai food. None of that. Um, what I have found is that I can, every once in a while, I can go to Starbucks and have a very small soy something as a treat that I can do. But I, I cannot go to the Thai place that I used to go to all the time that has like tofu and soy sauce and, you know, I can't do that. So there are levels of what, of what she can take. And I know that if I have done one thing and had a little bit of something with soy in it, that that's it for like a week or more. Exactly. And that's the kind of difference that people are looking for. You start to see 
these kind of changes pretty quickly and what you so you start learning it's a whole learning process of what are the levels that can be tolerated and what isn't and in some cases when it's only sensitivities people actually end up reintroducing everything and their baby's fine because the time it takes to reintroduce everything if they've cut a lot out mm-hmm. and it's just a sensitivity not an intolerance and not an allergy then their baby's gut has actually developed enough to be able to process everything. So that can sometimes be they see a big difference and they see it very dramatically. But as they reintroduce things, suddenly they're not seeing this difference anymore. And it's usually the time it takes. If they do it at six weeks and suddenly their baby's now four and a half, five months, well, that's actually a huge developmental stage for the intestines and the gut of little baby. So their child has actually developed the types of probiotics, the types of gut flora that's needed to digest these various items that are now being reintroduced. Is there ever a point where an elimination diet should be monitored, not just by mom, but by like a healthcare professional? Is there anyone that should really, you know, seek some additional help with this? Or is this all pretty much something that, you know, you can kind of do on your own? I think if you have any medical condition yourself, you should be talking to someone overseeing it. If you have any fear of the medical state of your child, you should be overseeing it. I also think people need to be careful not to cut so much out that they put themselves at risk. You're not looking to endanger your well-being or your health. So I think at any time, it's actually a great idea to be going, whether it's your midwife, as we did with ours, if it's a pediatrician who you trust and have a good relationship with. I know sometimes it's hard to get into pediatricians, so it's not something that's easy and accessible for everyone. Even just a nutritionist is a good person to follow up with. So if you are considering it, I think, especially if you're going to identify and eliminate a wide variety of foods, you want to make sure that you're keeping your health up, that you're able to get all the nutrients you need. And so speaking with someone about that is incredibly important. If you're just cutting out one potential thing, I think it's less so. If you're just looking at, I think my baby reacts to even dairy. You know, people go vegan all the time. You know, you may want to look up. I always recommend looking up issues with that. But if you're cutting out dairy for two weeks, you're likely not going to run into any life-threatening problems (laughs) along the way. So it really depends on what you're looking to do, the length of time, and how much you're actually taking out. But I think in any case, the go-to is really probably to keep in touch and talk to someone about it. All right, ladies. Well, thanks so much for all the information that you've given today. I think we've given our listeners a lot to think about and to consider if they're thinking about an elimination diet. So I appreciate you guys being part of our show today. If you're a member of the Boob Group Club, then please be sure to check out our bonus content for this episode. We know elimination diets may seem challenging, but switching to formula, as Graham mentioned earlier, may not necessarily be the answer. And we'll talk a little bit more about why. For more information about our club, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All 
All right. So before we wrap up our episode, we have a question from one of our listeners. And this comes from Michelle Lee. She posted this on our Facebook page. And so Michelle Lee writes, she says, I need some help, ladies. My preemie, 34 weeks, is in the NICU. She's two weeks old today. The doctor was just telling me Friday he wants to put her on Similex human milk fortifier. First ingredients, non-fat milk, whey protein, corn syrup, solids. Oh, and not to mention also contains soy. I said, absolutely not. Obviously, this turned into a discussion, but I was armed with knowledge and dangerous. Increased risk of NEC, not to mention the reason we chose to breastfeed is to avoid having all this in our system. Uh, Now he says it's not just because of the protein and fat content that he needs to use it, but because she's a preemie and at an increased risk of developing rickets. I researched and he agreed to try Prolacta's human milk fortifier, which is made from breast milk, but it may not be covered by our insurance. And this is quite literally the only option. If it's not covered, I'll have to pay out of pocket and it may not be in our budget. He's adamant about her requiring a fortifier. Obviously, rickets is a vitamin D deficiency, but other things like calcium, phosphorus, magnesium come into play. I suggested a multivitamin and mineral supplement if Prolacta's Human milk fortifier isn't covered, but he isn't for that. I'm ready to seek a second opinion, but at this point, my options are only limited. Um, But he's also saying they won't transfer her to children's for a second option because my insurance won't cover it. Seriously, she's really upset. So now her significant other is upset because he feels like she's putting the baby at risk for rickets um, when she's really only trying to decrease her risk for other things. So bottom line, she wants to know how does she get both of them on board that she does not want to use a milk fortifier. Hi, Michelle. My name is Helen Anderson. I'm one of the experts here at New Mommy Media. I'm a registered nurse and a certified lactation educator. And I want to thank you for sharing your story. It sounds like your baby and you and your significant other are in a tough situation and my heart really goes out to you. So I want to share a little bit of advice with you. Um, This advice is really for anyone that has a baby or anybody that they care about in the hospital as an inpatient. And this comes from my experience as a registered nurse and also a patient advocate. If you have concerns about your baby's treatment plan, you can get a second opinion from another doctor that's in the hospital. Your baby doesn't need to be transferred out unless you're at such a small hospital that you don't have any other physicians on staff. You can also request that your baby have a nutritional consult. And that's where a nutritionist will come in, probably look at your baby's lab results, look at the medical history, do a physical exam on your infant, and make recommendations on treatment based on their expertise in nutritional therapy. And hopefully you're at a hospital with a deep talent pool so that you have a nutritionist that does have a background in the special needs of premature infants. We know that during the last trimester, our babies absorb a lot of their calcium and phosphorus from our bones, then they have those nutrients in their body and ready to go when they're born. But since your baby was born a bit early, he or she may not have had enough of those nutrients transferred to guard against rickets. And it sounds like you're pretty well aware of the risks of supplementing with formula, but also the risks of rickets and soft bones. So my recommendation is for you to sit down with some other providers at your hospital, some other experts, and kind of get a roundtable discussion going. So it's not just you and the doctor discussing, but we have some other voices coming in too. So I want to thank you again for your question and wish you the best of luck. And your baby's lucky to have you for a mom. 
All right, that wraps up our show for today. Thanks so much for listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, newbies for newly postpartum moms, parent savers for moms and dads with toddlers, and twin talks for parents of multiples. This is The Boob Group, where moms know breast. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.